Philadelphia takes care of business against Brooklyn. And they win game four, 96 to 88, to end the net season. Disappointing finish, to say the least, for the Brooklyn Nets. We documented a lot of moving parts, a lot of changes, and a lot of questions that will come as this offseason will be interesting for Brooklyn and how they try to rebuild once again. The next and last stop is Atlantic Avenue Barclays Center. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Nets podcast. I mean, Oof. the only net fans you know, the only what, the only Nets fans you know, at least they've got some self-aware. I mean, come on, Look man. Or are these guys? Welcome back to the Only Net Fans You Know podcast. I'm Peter. Charlie's on on his honeymoon in Miami, so I had to bring in a friend. Joining me today is lifelong Nets fan, the Nets contributor to Off the Ball, the home team, of course, our home network and future Nets beat writer, Sean Matthews. Twitter handle, BKN underscore says. What's going on, brother? Pete, what's happening, my friend? Been a long time coming. Happy to be here. Happy to chop it up with you. I just also want to wish a congratulation Charlie out there uh, as he ties the knot and hopefully he's enjoying with him and his lovely bride. So congratulations to them and uh, happy to be here and let's get into it, my friend. State of the Nets. Nets are swept in the first round. I talked about the Philadelphia defense. They defended three very well. They don't give up a lot of points. They have the third fewest points per game given up in the league. We had Embiid to deal with. They finished with the best three-point shooting in the NBA, where we know the Nets struggled. And, uh, you know, it, it was an issue. It was definitely an issue. Game one, 121-101, complete blowout. Nets did not have a chance. As soon as the game started, horrible. Game two, Nets have a five-point lead at halftime. Philadelphia comes back with a 52-35 second half. That turned into a 96-84 loss. Game three, the Nets show some real grit, some real punch. They use a 35-18 third quarter to battle back from 11 down and actually have the lead late in the fourth. Harden gets ejected. Claxton gets ejected. The Nets choke, scoring five points in the final five minutes and the Sixers take the game 102-97. Game four, we haven't beat out. We know pretty much the series is going to be over, but it would have been nice to have a win. Doesn't happen. The Nets defense hold the Sixers to 39% shooting, under 100 points again, but the offense sputters, get, scoring only 19 points in the second, 15 points in the third, and the Sixers put us out of our misery 96-88. to What are your thoughts? Ah, uh, man, it just... So deflating, Pete. So deflating. You look at game three and, you know, game one and game two, the home team's supposed to win those games, correct? However, game three was the game where, hey, uh, we're at home, the Barclays crowd, our fans, it's going to be intense. You know, you want to get that first win to try and make it a series, you know, try and make it at least a, a fighting chance, get that one game. And it looked like it was happening, you know, uh, Nick Claxton showed some real intense uh, 
athletic ability, toughness, and pretty much gave it to Embiid. And uh, that whole situation with him uh, throwing the dunk down off the lob and stepping over him, and then Embiid kicking him up there in a place where <laughs> we don't want to, we don't we don't want to get kicked, and no ejection there. Uh, and like you said, Harden gets ejected, Claxton gets ejected later on. Uh, it just it just felt like the Nets gave it to a point where hey, this is all we have, and you know what? I can't really be that angry with it because it is all they have. They don't have a star anymore as, as much as we think Kevin Durant's not here anymore to close Kevin, uh, excuse me, Kyrie Irving's not here to have some late game heroics, which as you and I both saw and the rest of the Nets fans and the faithful here in Brooklyn saw that we needed, we didn't have the fourth quarter guy to take over. Uh, it's, and it's unfortunate because I think we could have got a game and I, and game three could have been, you know, something that changed the course of the series because Embiid was throwing himself all over the floor, gets himself injured with his knee and who knows what game four brings with him out. And that's the possibility that we men, we don't see. What did you think about the Nets strategy to take away Embiid to make the other guys beat you? Obviously we had this team, this is the Sixers that just sh- shut the lights out of the ball. You wound up having Maxi scoring 20 points a game, 50% from three. Harris, 20 points a game, 57% from three. Melton hit 39% from three. Harden, 42% from three. It's just, this was just a very bad matchup. Yes. And I, and I believe every matchup that we had to throw at the Sixers was a questionable one, per se. But I do credit the strategy at first to try and take away Embiid because he is a specimen and he is very skilled. Uh, he can shoot the ball. He can get to the basket. He can make post moves. He's he's unbelievable. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's a very good basketball player, and I think he knows it. However, the timing of getting back to shooters and the open man and his ability to pass – and James Harden's ability to pass as well has really hurt us in that series. They took their shots. They made them. You know, it's a make or miss league, as they say. And quite certain we saw that. Yeah, the Nets actually did a very good job against Embiid in the first half, I should say. In the three games that, that we played, he scored 10 points in game one, eight points in game two, and in game three at 14 points. Not bad. There's an MVP player putting up, you know, big numbers. To hold him to those numbers in the first half, that's that's very good. Harden shot 34% from the field. He scored 17 points and lit it up from three. Shot actually shot 42% from three. But I think he was like two of 17 on layups. The next defense did their thing. If you were going to go into this series and map out a plan, I can understand being upset about the closeouts. I could understand maybe you don't want Embiid being doubled every single time. Sure. But uh, they did their thing. The, the Sixers are a high-scoring offense. Look at these scores. Philadelphia in game two, 96 points. That's not – that's that's amazing. You have two Correct. players, two dynamic players. That's really good. 102 in game three, not bad. 96 in game four. You had, you had this team scoring under 100 points for two games. Your offense has to come through. That's that's where we're gonna let down, right? Listen, Philly took away the three. 
It took away a bunch of our layup attempts by having Embiid waiting underneath the rim. And it really hurt, and it really affected the offense. The offense was totally exposed. They scored less than 100 points three out of the four games. They shot only 44% from the field for the series, only 32% from three. And they had six quarters of 20 points or less. That's ridiculous for a playoff team. A matter of fact, in the two games that Philadelphia was held under 100 points, the Nets put up these combined stats. 66 of 160 from the field. That's 41%. And they were 22 of 79. 27% from three. And the two games that your defense probably put up the best efforts. That's debatable, whatever you want to think. But, man, if your defense holds a good offense like that under 100 points and you can't do anything with it, not great. Out of all the players on the Nets, players shooting seven or more attempts from the field, the only one that had better than 43% shooting was Cam Johnson. That's it. And I understand a lot of guys got a lot of flack, especially Spencer Dinwiddie, but I think he's getting a little bit more uh, flack than he deserves considering some other numbers in this series. Let me clarify here. They play for three quarters where they move the ball extremely well. They find their shooters. When those shooters are hitting, everything else opens up. Once that stops, they start to play hero, iso ball, where, okay, we need a playmaker in crunch time, and they stop moving the ball. Other teams make defensive adjustments, and we get very stagnant and very impatient and frustration on the floor. And I think that's what happened most of the time in this series. If you notice, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, I think he was trying way too hard to try and create for himself rather than his teammates. I would have liked to see the ball get into, like you said, Cam Johnson's hands late, uh, Mikhail Bridges, obviously. But at the same at the same time, I feel like we didn't use enough of a few guys. I think I think you could have gave Ed Sumner some minutes also because he's an electrifying guy off the dribble to maybe uh, penetrate and kick. Uh, we didn't see much of that late. Uh, but again, uh, we struggled from the three-point line. There was a lot of open looks that we missed from Royce, Smith, and even uh, Bridges and Johnson at late. I'm going to give you some numbers that are going to fuck with your head, okay? Sure, sure. Royce O'Neal, field goal percentage this series, 24%. Three-point shooting, 18%. Joe Harris, 15% from the field, 8% from three. Ice cold. Harris was only taking three shots a game, so you know, those numbers are, are horrific. But, you know, it's only three shots a game. I could, I'm not okay with it, but it's, it's not like he's taking 10 shots a game, right? Royce, he's taking seven shots a game and shooting 24%. In these games that we lost by two or three, like, that's a big difference. Like, I know Spencer Dinwiddie's going to get some flack. He's my favorite player, so I got to defend him a little bit. He put up 16 points per game, shot 42%, but he did shoot 38% from three with six assists, right? Still not his great performance. He got into the, uh, what's that, feud with uh, with Kuzma before the series. Not a great, you know, not, not, not great at all. 
Claxton, I thought, was very interesting. Claxton gained three and four. He shoots 16 of 19, 37 points. The first two games, he's two of six, only five points. Very dramatic difference. I, uh, besides Bridges and Cam Johnson, I, it's really tough to defend this team. Bridges put up 30 points in game one, 26 points in game three. He had a stat line of 23 points per game, 43% from the field, 40 from three. He also added in five rebounds, four assists. Cam Johnson was really on fire the first three games. I know I said that before. He scored 28 points in game two. And I think his stats were like over 50% from the field and 57% from three. In game four, he shot four of 13. And his numbers still weren't that bad. The numbers fell down to 18 points, 50% from the field, 42% from three. Wow. Go, it's pre- pretty good, right? Yeah. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead into this now. You have to resign this guy, right? I'd say so. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, not, not, to, not to poke fun here, though, but how are we attracting people here now? Also, you know, like you have to retain a guy that, you know, contributes, wants to be here, you know, has a relationship with the team now. And, uh, you know, we saw a glimpse and the proof is in the pudding, right? If you go to the exit interviews, I feel like not to say they have unfinished business, but I feel like, you know, they kind of have a chip on their shoulder where they all came together after the trade and, you know, the chemistry, you know, wasn't exactly there. And like, I think actually Spencer or Royce said it, uh, it's like you put a couple of starting fives into one starting five. And then they said, all right, go, go now, go now win a playoff series. That's, that's, that's hard to do. Right. I mean, for anybody, chemistry is built through working together and, you know, building continuity. Absolutely. Uh, the way that I kind of talk about it is you went to the court, you pick five guys up, you put them on a team, and they're taking on these guys that have played together for years, right? Right. That's where we're already in trouble this series. And uh, the talent, talent wins. Talent took over. The 76ers scored 103 points per game. We averaged only 92 points. The Sixers averaged 48 rebounds. We only had 35. But the offensive rebounds that Philadelphia was getting just killed us this series. I just think the 76ers are better, and it was just a humongous mismatch. Uh, in the past couple days, we saw Damian Lillard here. Who? Game three. He was here. He was. I was there. <laughs> he was here. He was in the building for game three. We saw him dancing with Mikhail Bridges on Twitter. That was six hours ago I saw that video. You take a look at his career resume. He called Mikhail Bridges one of his favorite players yeah. in the league. So I ask you, Frank Isola, I wish Mikhail was up here so I could ask him, but how about Damian Lillard yeah. in this building? Obviously. Imagine putting in a Dame Lillard into this series for the Nets. The Nets, obviously, I think obviously, would win a couple games, if not win the series. The Nets kind of need that dog. They need that, like, star scorer. That's what they're really missing. A lot of people are not too happy about this stuff. They're kind of getting a little cold feet from Kyrie. Are you really going to add in another old point guard? We saw D-Will come through. Didn't work out. Kyrie didn't work out. 
How do you feel about adding in Dane possibly? Pretty fantastic about it, and I'll tell you why. Um, Dane Lillard is a different breed of superstar. Now, does that mean Dame Lillard is going to win with the Brooklyn Nets? I, sh- As a fan, I sure hope so. However, we need to, if it, if it is going to be done, we have to surround Dame with the players that are going to compete in the East. And as you see now, the playoffs right now, depth, intensity, and physicality are a few things that you know, we should keep in mind. I mean, look, look, look at the Miami Heat last night, closing out the Bucks. They have Jimmy Butler, and they have a plethora of guys around him that know how to play basketball and they know how to be aggressive and you know play their role. However, I just don't want us to go all in and sacrifice all the assets that we have to get Dame. And I don't know what it's going to take to get Dame, but it's. It's going to be it's going to be a haul, and the Blazers are going to want a haul. But I do agree with you. I think he's going to request a trade, and he's going to obviously have a destination list. Uh, Brooklyn seems to be on that list because of relationships with Bridges. Why do you think he went to the game? One of his favorite two players in the NBA is Mikel Bridges. Like, is that telegraphing? Is that I, I'm not sure what to make of it. If if there is such thing as telegraphing, I would have to think that this is it. If not, he's just trolling us pretty badly. Uh, if, if it is a troll job, uh, I'm going to be very upset, unfortunately. Um, it was nice to see him at, at the Barclays Center on, on the broadcast, obviously. Uh, but, yes, I, I, I would I would assume it's a telegraph. It, you know, there's a lot of signs out there that he, you know, is making himself available, obviously. Uh, we don't really know behind the scenes, right? Why not Brooklyn? Who knows? Is this the first process of it? I hope so, because I would love a player like Lillard to, you know, wear the Brooklyn Nets jersey and lead us to the promised land. Words circulating around that he's in New York or in Brooklyn to possibly promote his new album. I'm not buying it. But at the, at the end of the day, why, you know, he could. There's two teams in New York, right? He didn't go to the he didn't go to the Knicks game. Dame is in courtside for you know just to watch Bridges and the Nets. Ah. I mean, I hope so, you know, but it's tough to say, you know, it's going to be, it's either going to be fantastic or it's going to, it's going to drag along and another, another team is going to make a viable push for him. And we're going to lose out maybe on his services. A lot of bridge bridges talk too. Should we just trade bridges and start totally over, which I'm not fond of. I think you don't trade KD just to trade bridges the next off season. He's developed such a such a fan favorite uh, persona, you know. He's got he's got everybody doing his celebration. He's got everybody, you know, feeling alive again. I mean, I went to the game maybe a month ago. He, uh, I had decent seats. Me and my nephew met him, took a picture with us. What a, what a gentleman and what a hard worker. First one in, last one out. He's got everybody, you know, feeling good again, and it's nice to see. All right, we're going to start wrapping things up over here. I'm going to give you your plug. Is there anyone, uh, anywhere you want to be reached at? All right, everybody. My Twitter profile is at BKN underscore says. Hit the follow there. I'm also a contributor to the Off the Ball Network. Take a look at my articles. Please do. And yeah, Pete, thanks for having me.
follow us on Twitter at NetFansYouKnow, YouTube.com slash at NetFansYouKnow. Check out the IG, the only NetFansYouKnow. Have a great day. Have a great commute. If you're having lunch right now, enjoy your lunch. Enjoy your week. And we're out. Charlie's on, on his honeymoon in Miami. We're wishing him well.